understand that? I will never give more forgiveness than God has already bestowed upon me. I will never give more mercy than God has given to me. So you and I need to be conduits of that. It needs to flow from God to us and then through us to those around us. And when they see forgiveness, mercy, and grace, and love like that, people are drawn to it. We talked about where wisdom begins in Proverbs chapter 1. Where does it begin? It begins with the fear of the Lord. Romans chapter 1 would give us the opposite end of that. Where does all chaos and and wrath start? Where does the insanity of a depraved mind start? It starts with the rejection of God. And yet all wisdom would start with the knowledge of God. So if you want to see what happens to those that are not interested in what God has to offer, turn to Romans 1 and read it from start to finish. It's a terrifying vision of what happens. It's a terrifying mirror of the world we're living in right now. People have denied God. They've denied his wisdom. They've denied his creation. And instead, they start to worship things that are created. And it sets them up for depravity beyond which we may never see again. This is a weird time to live right now. What did we talk about last week? We talked about the idea of being a godly parent. That comes out of Proverbs 2. It comes out of Proverbs as well. The idea of being a godly parent. We're going to see it again today. Hear, O sons, in Proverbs chapter 4. This is a, the heart of a parent pouring out on a child. This is the heart of someone that loves you dearly. And we talked last week, you and I aren't trying to be right. We're trying to push people into righteousness. We're trying to help them along that road. We don't want them to conform just to conform. We want them to be blessed. When the world gets what the world wants, it ends in destruction. And so we're going to take these lessons and we're going to look today at the immediacy or the intensity with which you and I need to apply these things. Proverbs chapter 4 is very active as we read through it today. You say, why do you want to kill passivity? Well, especially in men. Like John Eldridge wrote a book, Wild at Heart. It's probably 25 years old now, maybe 30. And one of the ideas in that book that struck me from day one was simply this. For so long in the church, the idea of a godly man was somebody that just sat in the back and kept his mouth shut. He didn't stir any trouble. He never really had an opinion. He just kind of went with the flow. And, oh, isn't that person so godly? Aren't they just amazing to be around? They're just so meek and humble and kind. And all of those things are wonderful. But if that's the only side of the coin to that individual, they're not godly. They're passive. And dare I say cowardly. A lot of evil has gone on, especially within the church, because they were filled with men just like that. They never drew a line in the sand. They never got nose to nose with anybody. They let other families be hurt. They let wolves run through their flock. A lot of pastors are peacekeepers. They're not peacemakers. They're passive. And the destruction that comes with that idea is terrifying because it's almost limitless. People are hurt. 
even the idea of children that aren't yours, they don't get to see what godly men look like. So when we, when we, when we deal with this idea of passivity, it's really strong in me that the men get this message and get active, get engaged, not only with God, but with your family, with your church, with your community. You have things the world needs. And every time you and I are sidelined, somebody suffers for it. So I want to kill passivity. I want to kill it in my life. I want to be a part of killing it in yours. What's it mean to be passive? Not reacting to something that might be expected to produce manifestations of an emotion or feeling. Not participating readily or actively. Inactive. Not involving visible reaction or active participation. Inert. Not moving. If we live our life and it looks like that, there's nothing heroic there. And when you and I wake up in the morning and you roll out of bed, you step into a job or a school that needs heroes. It needs people that are moved to passion about righteous things. It needs people that will draw a line in the sand and hold the wolves back. It needs people that will interact in a way that glorifies God but protects other people behind them that line up after them. Jesus did that perfectly. The spiritual warfare alone that surrounded his life is seen all through the Gospels. Why? Because he was light and he was good and the forces of evil were not going to sit back and let that go. And So when the light of the world came to the world, what do we see? We see darkness all over it. He was not passive. He was meek. He was humble. He was kind. He was loving. But he was never passive. Even his rest was on purpose. Just look at the synonyms and the the antonyms. You didn't know you were coming for a little English lesson today, did you? That's right. That's right. All my English people are really happy right now. I probably didn't pronounce antonyms right, but you'll deal with it. You see it on the bottom. Don't ever mock somebody that mispronounces a word. It means they learned it reading. Ever heard that before? Don't ever mock a person for mispronouncing a word because it means they learned it while they were reading. Pretty good. Especially when you're going through the Old Testament, right? You just go with H begat B begat C begat, right? You just run through it. The synonyms of passive, look at them with me. Submissive, unresisting, apathetic. Hate that word. Hate it makes my hair stand up even saying it indifferent static uninvolved the only one that has a semblance of something good might be unflappable right somebody that's able to deal with things and not be you know totally flailing all the time that might be the only one there that looks like something our world could use a little bit of submissive in the right context we talked about that a little bit last week in the right context to the right people amen Submissive in the right context to the right people. We've got a lot of Christians right now that are really running with that word when it comes to government, and I don't think they know what kind of hell they're getting ready to unleash on the people they claim to love, but that's another sermon. Antonyms. Why do I hate passivity so much? Because look at the opposites. Caring. Interested. 
Impatient, eh, careful. Dynamic, concerned. Agitated, careful. Active, lively. If I have to engrave one set of those words on your tombstone, which one do you want? Father, husband, if I have to engrave one of those on your tombstone, which one do you want? We've got to kill this. The enemy is ravaging our families and our schools and our community because so many people are so passive that they'll let evil just walk right on by. And do you understand that in a church culture, like when we become the church together, you and I have said we are done with passivity. You and I have said we are done with privacy. It's like getting married. You and I have said that we are giving people opportunity to come in and speak to our life. That's an active process. It's not a passive one. And so we have to take this idea and put it in a context that covers everything. Why? Because it does. It covers everything. Turn to Proverbs chapter 4 with me. We're going to read together. I'm going to pull in a couple more quickly as we walk through this because this idea goes from Old Testament to New Testament. When we get into actually looking at Jesus' biography, when we get into looking at his life, you and I will look at this concept again. But right now, I just wanted to take you, I want you to read, I want to read Proverbs 4 with you. I want to show you a little passage in Ecclesiastes. And I want to show you a couple more that create a plan. The passing of passivity. Proverbs chapter 4. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in his sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. Keep my commandments and live. And live. The instruction you and I are giving our children is so they have life. Not to beat them up, not to burden them with rules, but so that they may live a life. We'll see it later without stumbling, without deviating. How many decisions would you erase from your past? Now listen, you and I, we we have to be very careful with this concept because you and I, you cannot change one thing about the moment you got here and still be the same person. So we have to kind of lean into the sovereignty of God and what's going on in our life. And, and Romans eight twenty eight that says all things work together for good. That is the foundation of what I'm getting ready to tell you. But when I look at you and I say, how many decisions in your life have hindered you? How many times have you tripped and stumbled and been hurt? How many times would a right instead of a left saved you time, money, frustration, irritation? You and I right now are trying to pass those moments of learning down to our children. Why? Because just because I failed doesn't mean they need to. And the insanity 
of, of becoming wise later on in life is simply this. If you have good parents or good grandparents, you young ones that are sitting here right now, like 22 and below, if you have good parents and good grandparents and they tell you something, you need to listen. Like, at that age, we're all full of pride with very little wisdom. And then you and I grow up a little bit and we realize, wait a second, those people weren't so crazy. Told you many times, like my realization was in college, shortly after being there, by myself, looking around and thinking, man, my parents weren't crazy. My grandparents weren't crazy. These, these gray-haired people, my parents weren't gray-haired then, but the other people that were gray-haired then really loved me and tried to lead me and guide me. But that realization came late. If it would have come at 16, you look back and think, what if? What could you pass to a young one right now at the age of 16 with the knowledge that you have? Like, I am so tired of seeing so many people post about what the school system ought to teach kids. I understand the concept, like they have our kids a lot, but teaching our kids to balance a checkbook and fix a flat tire is not the school system's job. It ought to be the parents or the grandparents or the churches. Think you and I could grab a couple extra people and teach them some things about life? Absolutely. I get so tired of seeing that stuff. We always want to shove our responsibilities onto someone else. If I, want, if I want my kids to understand how to operate a credit card, I better be the one to tell them. If I want my kids to understand the value of taking care of their stuff, if I want my kids to understand the value of good character, it's not the school system's job. We just want to find things to gripe about. We want to find things that we don't want to be a part of. I would sell him out. He can raise his hand if he wants to. But one of the, one of the amazing pieces of wisdom I ever heard was a man's family could not get their driver's license until they could fix a flat tire beside the road. Stellar. Genius. Like, you passed your test. Okay, we're going to go on mine. This is mine. You're broke down. Fix it. Love it. Genius. That's the idea of Proverbs from start to finish. A father was taught by a grandfather. That's what it says here. And now he's passing that on to his son. It's a generational blessing to have godly parents. It's double fold to have grandparents that are praying for you and loving you too. And I will tell you this, you and I, right here, right now in this place, get the opportunity to backfill or make up for every person that didn't have that blessing. Some of you all are the most fantastic people. You would be wonderful grandparents to anybody that would give you the time to sit down and have a meal and hang out with, or parents even. You and I, as the church, have the opportunity to backfill a culture where parenting and even grandparenting has been so damaged by influences that we've allowed to take over. I love Solomon's ideas. I was taught, now I want to teach. I was loved, now I want to love. And so he's looking at his son and he's trying to teach him these things. I love the next uh, piece, perceived or real. What happened? Solomon felt isolated, delighted in, and special when he was being taught by his father. Look at that with me. Right there in the beginning of, of this passage of Proverbs, right? Tender, when I was a son of, with my father tender, the only one in the sight of my mother. Look at the idea of what happens 
uh, when this attention is given, it makes that person feel, feel like they're the only one in the room. Now, whether that was true or not, I can't tell you. A king's palace was probably a pretty busy place. There were probably some intimate places within there. But if the king had more than one child, I would venture to say a lot of times they were close together. But this kind of attention makes someone feel loved and delighted in. It's an amazing thing to build their character. I will not use the word self-esteem. You know that. To build their value, to show them what real love is like. That kind of idea of being taught like that. Be attentive. This idea comes up. The first command is one of attention. What if I told you, you know, the military thing, like we've seen it in movies. Some of you have been in the military. At attention, right? Somebody's coming in, they got something important to say, and they want your undivided attention. What happens? Everybody stands at attention. What if I told you the Christian life, there was never an at ease? What if I told you there was never an at ease? The moment you got saved, somebody should have taught you you were to be at attention. And it was never going to go away. Now, there's plenty of rest and ample opportunity for things to come that the Lord was going to pour into you. He was going to take care of you. He was going to make you able to deal with that. But your enemy walks around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He doesn't take breaks. What if I told you this idea was permanent? You still want to sign up for it? Man, it doesn't sound like a whole lot of prosperity gospel coming, does it? Health, wealth, and prosperity coming your way. Nope, war, war. Add attention. Stay that way. The Lord will give you what you need. He'll give you the rest you need. He'll give you everything to take care of this moment. But I told you earlier, even in Jesus' life, when he went to pray and be alone with God, that is an activity. It is not passivity. Holding fast to godly commands gives life. Like guardrails on a winding road, the effort and restrictions are there to save their life. That is the whole idea of God pouring out his righteousness, his love, his commands are all poured out like that so that you and I may keep it between the guardrails. That we don't derail ourselves, break our life up, tear up those that are riding with us, destroy what's going on in their life and ours. The guardrails are there, and all the blessing is between them. There is no blessing outside of it. It may feel good, it may be pleasurable, but the payment always curses it in the end. As we keep going, look at the pursuits of a blessed life. It's time to get it. It's time to get it. That's a motivational speech in and of itself right now in our culture. Get it. You have a coach yell at you. A lot of times it sounds like the Super Bowl's today. Somebody's going to yell that 500 times between now and the end of that game. What's it? I don't know. Just get it. Just get aggressive. Get your eyes open. Get moving, right? Get it. It's time for you and I to get it. Proverbs is actually going to command it. Look at verse 5. We'll go to five, from five to nine. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. What's the beginning of wisdom? Get it. Get it. Get 
wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland and she will bestow on you a beautiful crown. You heard the statement, get while the getting's good, right? Like we need to move along while it's okay. Somebody last night saw it start to snow and probably yelled that, right? We need to get while the getting's good. What do you and I need to do? We need to get the good while it's there for the getting. You have time. You have days. Close your eyes with me real quick. I want you to ask yourself one question. How many days do I have left? How many days do I have left? Nobody can answer that. As you think about that, open up your eyes and remember the rest of the sermon. You and I need to get the good. We need to get wisdom while it's there for the getting. Because the days are running out. Some of you young ones don't understand this yet. You're looking forward to things so strong that it feels like it's forever till they get there. You know what I'm doing now at 40? Thinking about how fast January's disappear. They're just gone. Like, holy cow, like vacation calendar at work. See who's working next shift. I have to flip it over. We're in February now. One-twelfth of the year just disappeared. Like, that's how fast it is. It's just fleeting. And so you young ones here today, you need to be making your mind up now. Why? Because you will set yourself up for so much success if you'll understand that concept. Verse 5, get, get, don't forget. Don't be passive. That idea of don't forget. Don't let other things cloud you. Don't let other things push you aside to where you're not understanding the need for wisdom. You and I don't actively forget things. As a matter of fact, most of the things that we try to forget, we end up not being able to forget. That's a passive process. Don't forget, which means on the opposite end of that is I need to be active in what I aspire toward, where I'm going. And the rest of the passage is going to show us that. Do not forsake her. That's the active piece of this. Don't passively forget to seek wisdom. And then like Romans 1, don't actively forsake it as if it's not a big deal. As if it's not something you and I need to strive for. Because the end of that is a crushing. The end of that is judgment and wrath. Verses 6 to 8, do not forsake her. Love her, prize her, embrace her. And what happens? Wisdom will guard you, keep you, exalt you and honor you what is wisdom going to do in your life in those two verses well if I don't forsake her if I love her and prize her and embrace her she's going to guard me keep me exalt me and honor me some powerful promises in that blessing some powerful promises for the life that you and I are aspiring to live. And what does wisdom produce? She will place on your head a graceful garland and she will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Who wears garlands? Victors. Princes and princesses wear crowns. 
in the context of Scripture, I couldn't bring myself to say kings and queens. The wrong analogy. We have a king, and he's not getting off the throne. But as a son or a daughter of God, guess what that makes you? A prince and a princess. Victors and royalty wear garlands and crowns. That is what wisdom bestows on you and I when we seek her, when we don't forsake her, when we listen to the words of those that love the Lord and love us. Beautiful promises. But what do you and I need to do as we skim through a couple of the next verses as we keep pace with this idea? Uh, scroll down and look at verse 10. Hear my son, obey, accept, receive, that the years of your life may be many. Verse 11 and 12, I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. Verse 12, when you walk, your step will, be, uh, will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. You will not be hampered. You will not stumble. What does the idea of, of stumbling or hampering do? It's setbacks. It's frustrations. And how about this one? It's injuries. One of, the worst run, one of the worst calls that we run in the fire service is when you have to go out on a hill and find somebody that was running or jogging or biking and had their way be broken up. They stumbled or they got lost. This idea is of utmost importance that wisdom keeps us from stumbling. It keeps you from setbacks. Verse 13, keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on, for they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble, for they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. Verse 18, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what. They stumble. Verse 19, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. Why is it? Because that's eventually where they land. Hell is darkness. It is the absence of light. It is the absence of good. It is the gnawing constantly of the idea that there is life somewhere else, but it is not here. The hellfire that's there does not give light. It is a dark and lonely place. The wicked walk the same way right now. It is the path. Be careful you don't step on it with them. Look at verse 20. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. Now look at verse 22 for the, the crescendo of this passage, man. Just the, the banging of the music gets louder and louder and louder. For they are life to those who find them and healing to their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. If that not beautiful. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet then all of your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Look at verse 22, the idea of life and healing. 
So on top of the victory and the exaltation prior in the passage, what else happens? When you and I love wisdom, when we seek it out, when we hang on to it, what else is there? There is life and there is healing. Healing physically, absolutely. Wisdom brings about opportunities for you and I to dodge the potholes. But healing and life spiritually, you better believe it. Because wisdom gives what God has to offer. And the most amazing thing to me actually comes next. Why? Because what I've been given, I get to now give. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Who's enjoying that life? The other people. What God has given to me, I should now be taking and feeding people that are in my life, those in my family, those that I work with, those in my church. They should be able to enjoy that righteousness, that wisdom too, and it should feed them and it should heal them. And so what God has given to me, I now get to give to other people. Verse 24, the idea of an outward manipulation leads to an inward reflection. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk from you. And you and I would say, well, isn't that a heart thing first? Well, part of the heart thing is recognizing bad behavior and then saying, no, I will not do that again. Right? Sometimes your heart just blurts things out. Sometimes it's on autopilot and in a certain situation with a certain person or something comes up and you just spit out something that is crooked, something that is devious, and you have to go back and say, wait a second, nope, I need to put that away. That is not something that's godly. And what happens is that outward manipulation, that manifestation of something evil is now reminding me I got things I need to deal with. It's an active process to put those things away. What's an attentive gaze bring? It brings about focus and direction. If I'm watching and looking in one direction, if you're driving and you're not looking forward, what are you getting ready to do? Right? One of these maneuvers. Right? If you've got a car full of kids. Right? Our car's so big now you can't even reach them. You'd have to have a yardstick to even hit the first one possible just pull over forward brings about focus it brings about a proper ending to your travel it brings about a direction that doesn't need to be deviated from eyes up looking forward you know in baseball watch the ball what are you yelling at the kid with the bat look in the outfield see where you want to hit it look over the fence swing as hard as you can no watch the ball focus I can't remember what pastor it was but he said if I've taught my son to keep his eye on the ball but to take his eye off of Christ I've ultimately failed him why because the focus matters the direction matters and ponder what's it mean in 26 to ponder ponder the path of your feet When you lay down at night, what are you thinking about? What direction am I going? Where's my family going? Where's my church going? And a lot of these stuff, a lot of the stuff is heavy swimming. You see that in Ecclesiastes when you read through that. Like wisdom is is a blessing and a burden. The burden of wisdom is you see everything more than just the, the surface deep. The burden of wisdom is you see what happens next and next and next. And so you can't ever play anything out right in front of you because it doesn't work that way with people that are wise. 
this is a symptom or this is a step, and then there's what's next, and then there's what's deeper. And so when you and I are pondering our life and we're trying to figure out where we're going, this is a time of inventory, reflection, where if I keep going this direction, am I going to end up where I'm supposed to end up? Is my family going to be there? Are they going to end up proper? So ponder the way you're going, the decisions that you've made. Look at them. Work them over. See if there's a better way. That's a piece of wisdom. That's you and I keeping pace. What's it look like for wisdom to be in action? Flip over a couple pages. Proverbs chapter 6. When I was a college student, I was also working, and a buddy of mine was a man that liked early mornings. So every once in a while, I'd get a phone call at like 5.30 a.m. as a college student. Didn't even know it existed. As I picked it up, what was yelled in my ear? Model the ant, thou sluggard. That's what he would yell every time he called me. What are you doing, sleeping? Yeah, I was. Not now. Model the ant. Look at Proverbs 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having a chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. What's the ant teaching us in Proverbs chapter 6 about a, a wisdom and action? There is efficiency without the whip. That is wisdom. So is effort without, uh, in the proper season. There's a season of your life to do certain things. Young ones, don't waste your early seasons in life messing around all night on, on video games. Honestly, at the age of 40 with a newborn, it would have been a lot smarter to be 24 with a newborn. I could handle not sleeping a lot better then. So could my wife. That little one has changed everything. You and I need the opportunity as the seasons come to deal with things in their moment. When you have time in college to be a college kid, devote yourself to that. You have time in high school, devote yourself to that. You have time in middle school, devote yourself to that and do your best. Why? Because later on when you're filling out loan applications... Your parents will be looking at you and thinking, man, I'm really glad you worked real hard. Why? Because the loan amount got a lot smaller. The loan amount you have to pay back got a lot smaller, and all you did was use your time wisely. When you're a young adult, use it wisely. Shut down the things that don't need to be there. Focus in on your character and what direction you're going. Find a godly spouse. You know, It wasn't that long ago that I got married and people thought me and my wife were crazy. We were 21 and people thought that was young to get married in 2002. What are y'all doing? You don't have a college degree between the two of you. You don't have a career. We got married, had a honeymoon and moved to another state in eight days, nine days. People thought we were crazy. The Lord provided. The Lord provided. When our friends were going through college and had a ton of debt, We had already been married for a couple years. Enjoying the blessings of a godly spouse. Somebody that loved you and wanted to take care of you. Do the things you're supposed to do when it's time. That's the model of the ant. You look at that story. There's no leader, no ruler, nobody cracking the whip. They're just being diligent. How about Ecclesiastes chapter 9? You don't have to turn there if you don't want. I'll read it to you. Let me get there. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 says this. 
Oh, and we're right back into the same topic. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol or the grave to which you are going. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift nor the battle to the strong nor bread to the wise nor riches to the intelligent nor favor. Wow, go back and read that one again. Nor riches or political places to intelligent nor favor to those with knowledge but time and chance happen to them all for man does not know his time like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them ecclesiastes chapter 9 says look at the landscape pay attention to what's going on some of us need to stop worrying about a bigger house and a better job Some of us need to walk into the house we own right now, open the door, thank God for what we have, grab our spouse, hug them, kiss them, and enjoy them. Grab our children and do that. Call a friend and enjoy your time with them instead of constantly worried about what's next in your life. You're missing what you actually have, and so am I. Because all we're worried about is what's next. Now, if you take that and fast forward it, when the years shrink like they have at the age of 40, I'm going to blink and be retired. I'm going to blink again and be dead. It's just going to happen. And if I have spent my time constantly longing for something else, I will have missed time with the love of my life, with the children God has given me, with my friends that the Lord has poured out on me. All and trying to achieve things that matter not. Stop worrying about what's next. Enjoy where you're at. Enjoy what you have. As Ecclesiastes says, the days are fleeting. They're going to come to an end. And when they come to an end, I don't want to look back and regret the way I lived the ones I was given. I want the people that know me to know that I love them to know that life was poured out for them and to know that there'll be plenty of time in our next place. Colossians 3 says it this way, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. I don't like my job. doesn't matter. If you don't have a new one yet, that's where you're at. You want to know what will make you like your job a lot more? If you realize I'm doing this for the glory of God and not for that paycheck or not for my nasty boss or not for my horrible coworkers, for the people that continue to give me extra work to do, I'm not doing this job for them. I'm doing it for him. And I promise you, you will like your job a lot better. It is not wasted. Seeds sown in eternity. I went to this hard place, Jesus, and I served you there. I love those people. I wanted them to love you. As I get ready to wrap up this morning, I want to take you to Psalm chapter 90. Because there's wisdom in planning. There's wisdom in planning this idea. There's wisdom in grabbing a hold of this and using it to plan out your days, both tomorrow and as many as you have left. Look at Psalm chapter 90, verse 12 says this. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. What happens right before this in the passage? The days are very hard. 
The psalmist is writing exactly the same things that Solomon is writing. The days are hard. The snare is there. The frustrations are many. And yet he gets to verse 12 and he says, Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Verse 14, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. You want to know how to get through your days when they're hard? Get up in the morning rejoicing. Get up in the morning thanking God for what he's getting ready to do. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, meaning every one of them, there is goodness there if God is there. There is preparation, strength, and courage every day of your life that the Lord is there. And for as many years as we have seen evil, verse 16, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Friend, I want to give you something to think about. The very idea that our days are finite give each one of them infinite value. Does that make sense? The very idea that you and I only have so many days gives each one of them tremendous value. Infinite value. No amount of money can buy 24 hours. That's how valuable they are. We suffer, we experience, and we breathe our last at hyperspeed. So we invite the infinite to come in and to fill up our lives with what he brings. Goodness, glory, and strength. Mission and purpose. Ephesians 5 says it this way, redeem the days for they are evil. What does that mean? It means to take ownership. Look closely at how you walk, not as the unwise but wise. Verse 16 says, redeem, right? making the best use of the days. That's the ESV. When you learn it in an older version, it says redeem the days. Why? Because they're evil. Meaning this, take ownership of them. Take ownership of those days. Make the most of them. Discipleship is not accidental. Neither is, going, neither is hearing well done one day when you and I meet the Lord. And as they come and we get ready to, to enjoy just another time of music and another time of, of heart searching and soul searching, that, the rest of Ephesians, if you will read that today, is homework. You and I are struggling so much always to find the will of God for me. And I don't know if you remember that, if you're my age or not, but coming up through high school, even into college, the question was always, what's the will of God for my life? And Lord, forgive us. We so butchered that question. You see, you and I are not going to find the will of God for our individual lives. Ephesians writes it to the church and says, this is what you're to be doing. What's the will of God for my life is a false question. What's the will of God for our life? What's the will of God for our church? What's the will of God for the church? And then the Lord takes that and he starts to shove you where you need to go. He'll give you peace about the job you need to take or the college that you need to take, but totally worrying about what's God's will for my life just destroys so much time and effort and energy. The will of God for your life is the rest of Ephesians chapter 5, and it's lived within the context of the church, meaning if you and I get around godly people and we want to serve the Lord, he's not going to let you miss it, but it is not passive. It's an action. It's aggressive. It's planning that goes into it. As you stand this morning, if you need what the Lord has to offer, if you're struggling with something like this, I'm begging you, I'm begging you right now, repent with me for our passivity and the time that we've wasted. 
precious thing in your life is your time. The most precious resource the world has ever known is the sinless blood of Jesus Christ. But the most precious thing in your life is your time. You can make more money. You can get a better job. You can recover from almost anything this world has to offer. You cannot go back and relive one day. You have today. You have tomorrow. And there is a finite number of them getting ready to end. You and I need to be on mission 